0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 67.
1: Hi there, this is Ray Edwards from rayedwardspodcast.com, and you're listening to one of my favorite podcasters. That's Jeff Brown, the creator and host of the Read to Lead podcast. A lot of people who thought they had security, had nothing but an illusion of security. But the only real security we have is knowing what it is we do well. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors.
0: And now, here's Jeff. Hi again, and welcome to the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we sit down with a successful and inspiring author to discuss their latest book and their expertise in areas like leadership, business, personal development, career, marketing, and entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, we chat with the first ever guest on the Read Delete podcast. I'm talking, of course, about New York Times best selling author Dan Miller. And in today's episode, I'll be asking Dan about the shelf life of the average college degree, the limitations of making safety and security your end goal, the difference between vocation, career, and job, and quite a bit more. First, I'd like to ask that you support our sponsors. They help make this podcast absolutely free. Blinkist creates summaries of your favorite business books that you can consume in about 15 minutes. They've always provided written summaries, but now their summaries are available in audio form as well. Find out more about a plus or premium subscription when you visit readtoleadpodcast.com. Blinkist and the educational site lynda.com has recently joined us as a sponsor. It's used by millions of people all over the world and offers over 3,000 courses at their site, all of which are taught by experts, with new courses being added to the site each and every week. Some of my favorites are courses like Getting Things Done or Breaking Out of a Rut. Start 2015 off with a bank. Sign up for a free 10 day trial to com. access to everything on the site when you visit this special link read to lead podcast.com slash Linda with a y read to lead podcast.com slash lynda Dan Miller is president of 48 Days LLC, specializing in creative thinking for increased personal and business success. And he holds a master's degree in psychology and uh, draws from his business experience to help others develop more focused, balanced, and truly successful lives. Now, his latest book is also his first book. How does that work exactly? Well, 48 Days to the Work You Love, Preparing for the New Normal 10th Anniversary Revised and Expanded. Edition. That's a mouthful. Dan, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, or should I say welcome back.
1: Ah, well, thank you so much, Jeff. I'm delighted to be with you again.
0: Well, what are some of the uh, more dramatic changes in the world of work that necessitated, Dan, this revised and expanded edition of 48 Days?
1: Well, that's a great question. In many ways, things are still the same. You know, when it comes down to it, people hire individuals. If you want to get ahead, you have to be the kind of individual that people want on their team, the kind of individual that other people want around if you're in your own business. So there's a lot that really has stayed the same. A lot of those success principles are just timeless. They're just not going to change. But in terms of how we present ourselves, certainly, you know, with all the things that have happened on the internet and social media, there's some new things that we can do to kind of create a name for ourselves, to get ourselves out there, whether that's for an interview with a company or whether it's to promote a business or service that we're providing. So, you know, there's some updates. One, One of the really cool things that I'm so excited about in the new edition, and of course, what an honor it is to have a book that hung around long enough that, Publishers want to do a 10th anniversary edition. (laughs) But one of the things that I really did deal with is the changes in education, the changes in how academic degrees are being viewed. So that's a big, that's a completely new chapter in there and something that we just have to be realistic about as that is changing dramatically.
0: Well, I think I'm safe in saying that neither one of us are are anti-education, but but you do mention that you believe, related to that, that college degrees should have an expiration date. Can you expound on that a little bit?
1: Well, I like to challenge people's thinking, but you know, anything that we see out there, if it's a a quart of milk in the shelves is going to have an expiration date. There are a whole lot of things that we know are changing. I mean, we're really being told at this point that probably 15% of what we know now is going to be totally obsolete five years from now. You know, it's, it's hard to measure some of those things. It's one of those the experts say, and we can go on mm-hmm. from there. But when we look back, I mean, I got my degree from The Ohio State University many, many years ago, the computer language that I was trained in was Fortran. <laughs> now, I don't know if you even remember that.
0: Barely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it was like using, you know, beads along a string, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> well, it certainly doesn't have a whole lot of relevance today. Hmm. And, and if you're going to do something in the computer arena, people are not going to want to know how you got your degree, where you got your degree, what you learned 20 years ago. 10 years ago, or even five years ago. They're going to want to know, what have you done in the last six months that proves your relevance to our business today? So in that sense, I really do think it would be reasonable for colleges to be realistic about that. I mean, knowing that 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are working in something totally unrelated to their degree anyway, Mm. I don't think it would be unrealistic at all to say, you know what, you're getting a degree in graphic design, this is probably good for six years. You know, you're getting this degree, even in things like biology. You know, this is probably good for maybe 12 years. Now, I know colleges aren't going to do that. They don't want to think (laughs) like that. But we, as people on the street, need to be realistic about the relevance of things that we learned 10 years ago. Hmm. Probably not much. You know, at this point, it's not a matter of what you know. When I mean, you can pick up that little thing you have in your, your pocket called an iPhone and get any piece of information that you need to have. So it's not what you know, it's how fast you can learn that's going to make you a player in today's environment.
0: Why do you think, Dan, more people don't recognize the opportunity that that we all have really to do the work that we were made to do?
1: You know, I think there's still just that kind of common mentality that work is something that we hate. Mm -hmm. I mean, our verbiage tends to that, you know, thank God it's Friday. Oh, God, it's Monday. (laughs) You know, just we, we expect to have an antagonistic relationship with the person who owns the company, the boss. It's a very unhealthy kind of thinking that we have about work. You know, when we recognize that it's the one thing we're going to spend more time doing than anything else, It ought to be something we really enjoy, and it's certainly not unrealistic to look at it in that way. That is not an unrealistic quest at all, to expect that the one thing you're going to spend the most time doing is something that you really enjoy, and it's in doing something that you enjoy that you can be your very best. You can't be your best doing something that you hate doing. Just absolutely impossible.
0: Dan, talk if you would a bit about the limitations we put on ourselves when we make safety And security, the end goal.
1: Well, those are concepts that have been dramatically changed. They've been diminished and really aren't realistic anymore. I mean, people used to think that if I could only get a job, you know, with a company, they're going to guarantee me a check every Friday, and they're going to guarantee me retirement, take care of me in my old age. Well, those days are gone. A lot of people who thought they had security had nothing but an illusion of security. I mean, I've worked with many, many people who've come out of companies like AT and T and General Motors, and other still well-established companies, thinking they had security, only to realize they were just they had a reasonable exchange where they would get paid while they were there, providing a service that made sense for the company at that time. But the only real security we have is knowing what it is we do well. And that's why when I talk so much about moving into these new work models that we have, so if you're not an employee but you're a consultant or a contingency worker, independent contractor, or an entrepreneur, on and on, you can actually increase your security rather than decrease it. Let me give you a quick example, Jeff. Sure. If you go to work tomorrow at that big company that you've worked for for 10 years, I mean, realistically, we know one person can put you on a street before lunchtime and you're gone forever. Right. It happens every day I hear from people. Gee, I've been there for twenty five years and I went in Monday morning and they told me I had an hour to clean out my desk and leave the premises. Unexpectedly, in that sense you have one customer. So if we just take that model and tweak it a little bit, let's say that you are a bookkeeper and you decide that rather than looking for traditional J-O-B, you're going to find 10 small companies that aren't large enough to have a full-time bookkeeper, but could use you a couple days a month. Have you just destroyed your security and safety? No. In my mind, you've increased it dramatically. In that model, you still do the thing that you do really, really well. But instead of having one customer who can take away 100% of your income, you have 10. So if somebody leaves, oh, there's 10%. I need to replace that. You have a very fluid kind of work environment. You get to focus on what it is you really love to do. And you have increased dramatically your safety and security.
0: It's funny, you know, I've, I've been my own boss for about 18 months now, and uh, I'm still trying to get my parents to understand uh, <laughs> what that's like. I, I overheard my mom telling my uncle over the Christmas holiday, you know, sort of lamenting, yeah, he doesn't have paid vacations anymore. And I was like, Mom, well, wait a second, you know, I, I do things that make money. Uh, When I'm not working in my sleep, you know, I can take vacation whenever I feel like it. I don't have to seek somebody else's uh, permission. So it's funny how uh, sometimes previous generations or people who have your best interests in mind can can see what you're doing and the success you're having, but still fall back on those sort of traditional ways of thinking about business and work.
1: That's right. Who's going to pay for your retirement?
0: (laughs) Right. Well, what does an employer really mean, Dan. When they tell you, maybe in an interview or what have you, that you're overqualified, what does that what does that really mean?
1: You know, in my mind, it's a politically correct way to say we don't want you on our team. When mm. when you think about it, really, I mean, what would be the chances of you showing up at a doctor and he says, "Oh, by the way, you know, I'm a heart specialist," you say, "Oh, geez, I don't want you to." You know, check me out. You're overqualified. (laughs) I mean, if you went in to have your BMW tuned up, the guy says, man, I just got a new certification, you know, for the brand new BMWs. You aren't going to say, oh, I'm sorry, you're overqualified. It just, it doesn't have any relevance in areas like that at all. For somebody to say you're overqualified is simply a nice way of saying, yeah, we really don't want you here. Mm. And it is, a, it is a nice way. You know, it almost sounds like a compliment. <laughs> but the bottom line is, you have not done a good job of convincing that company of the benefits of having you on board.
0: Well, Dan, I was hoping you could help us wrap our minds around how you define and differentiate between vocation, career, and, and job.
1: Yeah, you know, those are three great terms. That, but, and we tend to kind of use them interchangeably, but right. they're, very, they're very different. I mean, vocation, that's the big picture. It ought to include things like your purpose, your mission, your calling. So you could say that I want to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. That would be part of a vocation. Career is a subset of that. And in that example, we could have as a career, you could be a physician, a nurse, a dentist, a sports trainer, massage therapist. I mean, there are a lot of things you could do to help reduce pain and suffering in the world. Then job is the smallest component, even in that example, If you wanted to be a nurse here in Nashville, Tennessee, there's probably, I don't know, probably 8,000 jobs for nurses here. So it's just one small connection there. If you lose your job, it should never change your career or your vocation. Mm. You simply look for a new application. Now, in framing it like that, though, it takes the pressure off the job being the most important thing. Jobs will come and go. Good people are losing their jobs all the time. Right. But again, and if you haven't taken the time to get clear on what your vocation or calling is, then it can be really devastating. It can feel like you're starting over. But if you know what that calling is, you simply look for another application, even if that application is pretty dramatically different.
0: Well, indecision uh, seems to be something that's crippling so many from pursuing great opportunities. Dan writes about this in the book and, and, and says that studies show that high achievers excel in their uh, speed of implementation. Uh, Dan, how can we overcome the negative effects of indecision?
1: I think we can learn to be decisive. Mm. I mean, certainly there's somewhat of a personality characteristic that ties in with that. Some people have to take a lot of time to make decisions. Personally, my wife, Joanne, and I have had as a longstanding plan to have two weeks be the time in which we make even major decisions. Now, I don't know, for some that may seem short. Now, to me, it's pretty long, but it, it helps address some of Joanne's concerns about my being pretty quick to make decisions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's an old saying, indecision is the greatest thief of opportunity. And mm-hmm. I really believe that, you know, when you're indecisive about something, be that, you know, where to send a child to college or where to go to church, or what kind of car to buy or what kind of job to get, it it tends to bleed over into other areas of your life where you're kind of on hold as well. But I think you just, I think one of the things is to do like we've done is give yourself a timeline for any decision. What would you be comfortable with? This is the time period in which we can gather information, assess where we are, get the advice and opinion of other people, look at our best alternatives, do a little bit more research, choose the best one and act. And then not second guess yourself, don't look over your shoulder, but move ahead so you don't get trapped in that indecision that really does cripple everything that we do.
0: Dan, I asked uh, Seth Godin this question last week and and feel like it really relates perfectly to to the 48 Days book. And that question is, how do I resolve the idea that I often know I can, but I don't always believe that I can? And is this something that we should even bother trying to resolve?
1: Yeah, that's a great framing of that, to know we can. But the, the knowing doesn't have much proof, so to speak unless we believe and do. You know, having information, having knowledge is just a beginning point. Mm. Wisdom kind of implies that we've taken that knowledge and done an application that's meaningful. And in the same way there, you know, what Seth is saying, doing it increases your level of belief. Mm. And we can move into the doing even if our belief is in question. And as we do it, I mean, it's really part of the definition, you know, we have of, of faith. You know, faith is continuing to take that next step, even if we can't see very far ahead, but just having the confidence based on what we know now, take the next step and it'll continue to unfold.
0: You mentioned in the book, Dan, that studies show that in the future, half of all workers will actually be employees uh, working for somebody else. Uh, and I, I, would, I would assume that means that companies are having to recognize they have to get more creative and attracting new people. What are some of the ways you're seeing companies face that issue?
1: Yeah, and what I mean by that, Jeff, that 50% will be employees is that uh, to some people that's pretty alarming that 50% will not be. Now, that doesn't mean in any way that we're going to see 50% unemployment, not at all. I mean, unemployment's a very reasonable level as we speak here. But it means we're seeing new work models that aren't defined by the term employee, Mm. So some of those things I mentioned a minute ago, like consultants or contingency workers or independent contractors or electronic immigrants, I mean, we're, we're seeing uh, companies realizing that employee is not a real healthy model anyway. It implies that you're going to guarantee somebody a paycheck just because they put in their time. Well, ultimately, that's a very poor business model. You can't do that. You can only pay for results. Well, as companies are realizing that, they're saying, wow. We don't care if you're an independent contractor. We don't care if you're a freelancer. We Mm -hmm. don't care if you come to the office or not. Mm -hmm. If you just do the work, we'll pay you based on the work that you do. And it's really a win-win solution for everybody. Mm -hmm. So companies are saying, wow, we aren't going to have more employees We're just, I mean, you take companies like JetBlue, they don't have offices for all of their agents to come to. Every one of their agents, 100%, is somebody working from their home, where they're just taking calls and helping people out. I mean, what a cool way for a company to limit their real estate cost, you know, the fixed overhead of air conditioning and water coolers and all the things that you have to have, cubicles, desk, computers. Now, all you need is the results. And as companies are moving toward that, you know, Jeff, as you know, we've moved way away from production work. Mm-hmm. The bulk of our work today in America is knowledge work. And with knowledge work, we can be very mobile. And it's an advantage for everybody who is in our uh, the working crowd because we take our means of production with us. It's between our own two ears. We don't leave some machine in a factory somewhere where they control that. We can take it with us. What a cool thing. And that works as an advantage for both the companies and anybody who works with them.
0: You mentioned the importance of of making time to what you call sit for ideas. And I'm curious to know how much time would you say per week you give to sitting for ideas? And how do you go about protecting that time?
1: Well, I probably spend more than most people. Mm -hmm. I've structured my time so that I have a lot of time to welcome new ideas, to think creatively, to read and all that. Now, even removing reading, because if if we take just reading and thinking creatively, I have at least two hours a day. So just in a normal work week, that's Mm going to be 10 hours. Mm -hmm. But if we take outside of that, just reading and doing research, just that process of sitting for ideas, I'm going to want at least an hour a day where I don't have it in structured time. I don't have structured output that's required, but just to sit and think about what that's going to be. What, you know, I, I start every morning with at least 20 minutes sitting in A chair in our living room all by myself, no lights on, no TV, no computer, no iPhone, nothing at all, just sitting, just kind of letting my mind find itself and seeing what's going to show up.
0: I have some questions I want to run by you, Dan, uh, not directly related to the book, but before I do that, I want to ask if there's anything else from the book you want to make sure that we leave today knowing.
1: You know, there's there's another brand new chapter. I mean, I, I made more, way more changes in new content than I anticipated mm-hmm. in the new book once I got into it, partly based on reader and listener feedback. I asked my audience, you know, I've been blessed with a big audience, my podcast and my books, and I simply asked them, what would you want to see included? They gave me enough content, Jeff, that would have created four brand new entire books oh, wow. and I included it all so it was amazing to have my research done instantly but I, I really made more changes than I anticipated but another brand new chapter is titled Who Would Hire Me mm. so rather than talking about just the history of work and how we viewed work, I went right to the heart of the matter who would hire me, what do companies look for what is it that gets you opportunities in today's environment so I'm excited about that as well
0: well, we last spoke uh, here on the podcast about 18 months ago, and I'm curious to know what are a couple of books uh, you've read during that time uh, that have that have had an impact on you?
1: Yeah, I, as, as you probably surmise, <laughs> I, I've read a whole bunch of them since we spoke 18 months ago. Um, one is Essentialism, mm. Greg McKeown, yeah. just identifying really what's important. Another one is David and Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell. How Sometimes the Things We Think Are Disadvantages Can Turn Out to Be Our Greatest Assets. Great, great book. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then a brand new one is Darren Hardy's book, The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster. Mm. Those are kind of three different approaches to things that are important to me. Uh, there are many other books as well, but those are three that really have made a big impact on me.
0: Excellent. Dan, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you fix first? <laughs> well oh
1: boy that that's a, a grandiose question there. Well based on the message that I want to get out there I would fix the flawed thinking that most people have that work is something that is a negative mm-hmm. work is something we try to get out of work is something we try to just make enough money to meet our own needs. And then we can stop doing it so we can just do what we enjoy doing that thing called retirement. Mm-hmm. I'd like to fix that. That's my mission in life is to help people fix that to understand work is something that can be enjoyable. It's the most fulfilling thing we can do to not only create income, bless our family, but it's also the, the one thing we can do that most fully completes our calling, the work that we do.
0: Well, Dan, uh, the sort of legacy question uh, for you is uh, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, what do you ultimately want to be remembered for?
1: I, I want to be remembered as the guy who helped a whole lot of people understand work is something that could be meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. You know, sometimes there's There's kind of the myth that if I do something I really enjoy, then I'm going to have to learn to live on beans and rice, (laughs) That, that doing what we enjoy implies not making money, not being prosperous financially. Again, it's just flawed thinking. It's so much easier to make money and thrive financially when you're doing something that engages the very best that you can bring to the table, something that you enjoy doing. and regard to the concerns your family members have about you on vacation, <laughs> you know, I like, you know when, when we're working for ourselves, we don't have as much push to get away on vacation mm. because we've already obviously selected what we want to do. And so we just continue doing that.
0: Well as we're recording this conversation we're at the beginning of a new year I know Dan you you always evaluate the previous year and look at things that you can 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 let go of and things that you want to add to your plate as we as we venture into 2015 I'd be curious to know what's on the horizon for you. What are you working on now that uh, that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, I've got big things lined up for this year. I don't know when I've ever been as excited about starting a new <laughs> year as I am here at 2015. But a lot of it is leveraging the message of 48 Days. Because the book has been around a while, I've had a lot of opportunities related to that. So we're now taking that, developing a full-blown <laughs> workshop seminar. We're working with a team To have that be accredited as a college course, more and more colleges are looking at that are including that already. And we're looking at the full blown process of having that as an accredited course. That's going to open up some real opportunities for leverage there that I'm excited about.
0: Well, Dan, it's a thrill to be able to have you back, and I have to say that I love just being able to enjoy as you're talking, and I really mean this, just the ambiance around you, hearing your grandchildren in the background playing, and just uh, just the, the whole atmosphere you've created for your life and your work. And, and I know you've talked about it in, in blog posts on your podcast and your book, and it's just neat to actually experience it firsthand. Well,
1: thanks. I was wondering if you could hear my grandkids playing. <laughs>
0: oh, it's, uh, it's, I love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> we, we, we've we got some extras uh, in, in, the, in the country and at our house right now.
0: Awesome.
1: So, yeah, just on the other side of my office door, <laughs> there are kids playing. And that is very, that's very very typical of the kind oh. of life that I live. They're, it's pretty seamless between my work and my play. People aren't sure what I'm doing. I'm not sure which I'm doing. So, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. Hey, and I'm thrilled to be back again. I had forgotten that I was your very first guest. So I'm, <laughs> I'm honored to be in that rank that it can't be changed, I guess, but honored <laughs> to be back again, Jeff.
0: Well, thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate the, the generosity you've shown uh, the show. I know you've mentioned it several times in your podcast, and we appreciate that very much. So thanks for taking time out again.
1: Absolutely.
0: To find out more about Dan, be sure and visit his site, 48days.com. Very, very soon. In fact, it may have happened already. 48days.com is getting a whole brand new look. So be sure and check that out. There's also a great community over at 48days.net. And speaking of communities, I've recently started a Read to Lead podcast group over on Facebook. And when I say recently started, I mean like there's eight people in it. That's, that's, that's how recent. Now, there's always been a Read to Lead podcast Facebook page, a business page. But business pages, as you may well know, don't allow for too much interaction among members. But a group, of course, a completely different story. I'd love to have you in the group It's absolutely free, and it's a great way for you to interact with other fans of the show and me as well. You can get to it directly by going to to readtoleadpodcast.com slash group. One quick programming note, next week's episode will likely be released a day later than normal on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. So wanted to make you aware of that possibility. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Do,
0: do, do. Ask a girl what she wanted to be, doing.
1: She said, baby, can't you see? Wanna be
0: famous? a Star on the screen. You can do something in between. Baby, you can drive my car. Yes, I wanna be a star. Baby, you can drive my car. And maybe I love you. Beep, 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 beep. Yeah!